Uh, what an immense privilege it is for Lisa and for me to be here tonight. Thank you, Aaron. We love you and your family. And uh, so great to see you settled in a great singing congregation. Uh, we've had a taste of that uh, tonight. I think I can say I've always been for you and from early on believed in your gifting for ministry. It's a real privilege for us to be here tonight. And what an immense privilege this congregation has, Westminster Presbyterian Church. The Puritans used to say that there was no greater favor that a congregation could receive from the Lord Jesus Christ than to have a minister who would teach them the gospel and who believed in the Bible as the word of God. What an immense privilege is yours. And I want to say particularly to children who are here tonight, understand this is the man God has given to be your shepherd. That's God's blessing in your life. And you'll see that more and more as you receive his ministry. Well, it was also true for the people in a little town in England, the town of Bemerton. They, too, received this blessing of God, a faithful minister. He was an unusual man. He was uh, very gifted in multiple areas. He was a musician, a skilled violinist. In fact, he would sometimes walk along the river that went out of Bemerton several miles through the English countryside to the great cathedral at Salisbury, and he would play his violin in great worship services and festivals there. This man was also a noted poet, one of the best poets, I think, in the English language. George Herbert was his name. And I mention him now because he wrote a poem with the title Aaron. And I always think of this poem when I think of Aaron Messner because it is a poem about what it means to stand as a gospel minister in front of a congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the presence of God himself. What, what that weighty responsibility is and how to think about that responsibility in a Christ-centered way. Let me just read you the very beginning of this poem, Aaron. And then uh, I'll explain how it connects to our text for the night. Here's how the poem begins. Holiness on the head, light and perfection on the breast, harmonious bells below, raising the dead to lead them unto life and rest. Thus are true Aaron's dressed. Now, the passage of Scripture that George Herbert had in mind is Exodus 28, and then we'll also be looking at Exodus 29, which describe the amazing clothing that the high priest Aaron and then all the high priests after him wore in the days of the temple. I thought it was wonderful that the choir, even from its uh, opening uh, music this evening, was bringing us into the holy sanctuary of God, into his holy temple, and that's where the high priest would do his work. Let me describe for you more directly the clothing that the high priest would wear. This is in Exodus 28. I'll be reading a number of verses from this chapter, starting at verse 4. These are the garments that they shall make, a breastpiece, an ephod, a robe, a coat of checkerwork, a turban, and a sash. They shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, and his sons to serve me as priests. They shall receive gold, blue, and purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen. And they shall make the ephod of gold, of blue, and purple, and scarlet yarns, and of fine twined linen, skillfully worked. 
Then down in verse 15, you shall make a breastpiece of judgment in skilled work. In the style of the ephod, you shall make it of gold, blue, and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. You shall make it. It shall be square and double to span its length and to span its breadth. You shall set in it four rows of stones, a row of sardius, topaz, and carbuncle shall be the first row, and the second row an emerald, a sapphire, and a diamond. Just imagine these jewels as I'm reading. And the third row, a jacinth, an agate, and an amethyst. And the fourth row, a beryl, an onyx, and a jasper. They shall be set in gold filigree. There shall be twelve stones with their names according to the names of the sons of Israel. They shall be like signets, each engraved with its name for the twelve tribes. You shall make for the breastpiece twisted chains like cords of pure gold. And then after further description, we read in verse 29, So Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel in the breastpiece of judgment on his heart when he goes into the holy place to bring them to regular remembrance before the Lord. And then picking up in verse 31, You shall make the robe of the ephod all of blue. It shall have an opening for the head in the middle of it with a woven binding around the opening like the opening in a garment so that it may not tear. On its hem, you shall make pomegranates of blue and purple and scarlet yarns around its hem with bells of gold between them, a golden bell and a pomegranate, a golden bell and a pomegranate all around the hem of the robe. And it shall be on Aaron when he ministers and its sound shall be heard when he goes into the holy place before the Lord and when he comes out so that he does not die. You shall make a plate of pure gold and engrave on it like the engraving of a signet, holy to the Lord. And you shall fasten it on the turban by a cord of blue. It shall be on the front of the turban. It shall be on Aaron's forehead. And Aaron shall bear any guilt from the holy things that the people of Israel consecrate as their holy gifts. It shall regularly be on his forehead that they may be accepted before the Lord. This is... God's word. Now, maybe all of that is a little hard to take in just on a simple reading, but you get the impression the high priest had to be dressed in a particular way to do God's work. You get a sense of splendor and of majesty and of color and of splendor. All of this to enter into the holy place and do the work of the Lord. But now let me tell you how this Aaron, this high priest, was installed, how he was consecrated, how he was set apart for the ministry that God had given him. You see, Aaron, the high priest, was the representative of the people before God. Their spiritual welfare depended upon his ability to enter into the presence of God with prayer and sacrifice. And to do this, he had to be spotlessly holy. And so God told Aaron, told Moses to consecrate Aaron as priest. And it was an elaborate ritual. It's a ritual that's described for us in Exodus 29. First, God told Moses to gather what was needed. And he began with a young bull and two rams without defect. Animals in the prime of life. Together with various items of unleavened bread, they were presented to God as sacrifices. And I'll say more about that in a moment. And then 
God described the men that uh, Moses was to install for ministry. And Moses took his brother Aaron and escorted him with other uh, other priests to the doorway of the tabernacle. But before they could enter that holy place before God, they had to be washed from head to toe. And so in Exodus 29 at verse four, God instructs Moses to bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of meeting and to be washed with water, symbolic of spiritual purification, of cleansing. And once they had been washed, the priests were dressed and the garments that were described for us in Exodus 28 were put upon him. Aaron would put on his tunic and his robe, kind of like a a holy poncho, and then a breastpiece over that, covered with with jewels, and then a turban on his head, and fastened to that turban a holy inscription to the Lord. All of these holy garments had to be worn to do the holy work of the priest. On the top of the whole outfit, it said, Holy to the Lord. And once he had put those garments on, then Aaron was ready to be consecrated. And God said to Moses, this is Exodus 29, verse 7, take the anointing oil and anoint him by pouring it on his head. And this was an act by which God was setting a man apart for holy office. And the oil would run down the man and down his beard and then down onto his garments, showing that he was holy, that God had poured out his spirit upon this man. Well, so far, so good. The priest looked good. He smelled nice. That was part of the the oil. It was perfumed with spices. And yet, the man himself was still a sinner. There was a gap between his outward appearance of holiness and his inward spiritual condition. And yet, surely, to serve God, he had to be holy all the way through. This is something that minister in Bemerton, George Herbert, wrestled with in his own experience. He read the scriptures. He saw the way that the priest was supposed to be dressed. He understood the holiness that God required for ministry. And yet, as he looked at his own life, he realized how far he was from that holy standard. I imagine him writing his poem about Aaron on a Sunday morning. He's been in the word of God. He's been reminded of the truths of Exodus, and he's about to go into the sanctuary and lead the people of God in worship, and yet he recognizes the sin of his own heart. Here's how he wrote about it in his poem, Profaneness in my head, defects and darkness in my breast, a noise of passions ringing me for dead unto a place where there is no rest. Poor priest, thus am I dressed. Those are the words of a man who understands the gap between his holiness and what God requires for holy service. Something has to be done about that guilt. Aaron and his sons with him were not fully consecrated until sacrifices were made for their sins. And the rest of Exodus 29 describes those sacrifices. I'll mention them very briefly here, but it took seven days to set a man apart for his holy office as priest. We wouldn't have time tonight to make all of the sacrifices that would need to be made to set apart a man to be the high priest. First, the offering of this enormous bull brought to the door of the tent of meeting. 
And Aaron was invited to come and lay his hands on that bull. And then it was slaughtered in the presence of God. And blood from the bull was sprinkled on the altar. And the other parts of the bull, the inner, the inner parts were burned on the altar. But the skin of the bull and the entrails were burned outside the camp. We'll come back to that deal, detail in a few moments. But here was the sin offering. It was offered out in the courtyard outside the tabernacle. And then the blood of that sacrifice was taken into the holy place. And it was a powerful demonstration of an offering made for sin. Aaron would lay his hand on that bull. It was an identification of the man with the beast. And it was an imputation of his sin. His sin was, in effect, being transferred over to that Bull, And of course, once the sin was on the bull, then the bull was, as it were, the guilty party. The animal was put to death for the priest's sin. This is the way that God was executing his penalty against sin and at the same time showing mercy to that priest that the priest could live. Everyone could see what a sinner the high priest was, because as soon as he touched the bull, the bull was sacrificed. It was put to death. I'm reminded as I think about this of a colleague we had in ministry in Philadelphia who would sometimes when he wanted to reach a minister at another church would when somebody answered the phone said, yes, I am calling for the biggest sinner over there. And if the pastor was quick and he answered the phone, he would say speaking. But if it was the church secretary, he or she would really be in a bind. Who could they mean in this church? I mean, you wouldn't want to admit that it was your minister, would you? Well, Aaron, it's not a bad place to be to recognize the extent of your own sin. I suppose in one sense of the word, you're probably the biggest person in this congregation, maybe the biggest <laughs> sinner in that sense. But here's a reference point showing that the one leading in ministry, he needs that sacrifice for sin as much as anyone does. But that wasn't the end of the sacrifices. There were also these rams. God said, take one of the rams. By now we're up to verse 15 in chapter 29. Aaron and his son shall lay their hands on its head, slaughter it, and take the blood and sprinkle it against the altar on all sides. And then the scripture goes on to say, burn the entire ram on the altar. There's no separation of parts here. The whole ram is burned before the Lord. It is a burnt offering to the Lord, a pleasing aroma, the scripture says, an offering made to the Lord by fire. And again, you have the priest putting his hand on the beast. You have the, the beast slain. You have the blood taken from the beast and, and sprinkled on the altar. But this time, the whole beast consumed to the, by the flames. Nothing was left. A whole burnt offering, the scripture calls it, I think, symbolizing total dedication to the Lord. This is the way a priest offers himself for God's service unreservedly. He is totally dedicated for God. You will hear that tonight in the vows that your minister takes his dedication unreservedly to the calling of gospel ministry. Then there was the other ram. Another sacrifice. Again, Aaron would lay his hand on the head of that animal. It would be slaughtered. This time, some of the blood would be put on the lobe of the right ear of Aaron and his sons, some on the thumb of their right hands, some on the big toes of their right feet. And then the remainder of the blood sprinkled on the altar and on Aaron and on his 
garments, those beautiful garments, they were spattered with the blood of this sacrifice. And this sacrifice was only for priests. Everyone in Israel needed a sin offering. Everyone in Israel needed a burnt offering. But this ram of consecration was only for priests. It may perhaps at some level have symbolized atonement. It was a blood sacrifice. But it seems primarily to have been a sanctification of the priests for sacred duty. That's why the blood was put on them. The blood on the altar, that was their justification as sinners. The blood sprinkled on them was for their sanctification as priests. By the time all of this was done, there was blood everywhere. Blood on the altar, blood on the earth, around the altar, blood all over the priests, smeared in various places on their bodies, spattered on their garments, and they were set apart for God's service. It says in Hebrews, referring to this tabernacle, temple system, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood, including the high priest himself, dedicated for the service to God. Here was a man washed with water, robed in righteousness, anointed with oil, sprinkled with sacrificial blood. And all of this is speaking about the great doctrines of salvation. You have purification and sanctification and justification and all of this. To set apart a man for the holy service of God. Now, may I say briefly, before applying these truths, that all of these things speak deeply to us about Jesus and about his ministry as the great high priest of the household of God. Can you see it? Can you see it in that description, the way these sacrifices are pointing to the sacrifice that Jesus made for us on the cross? He is the sin offering, atoning for our sins. We lay our hands on him by faith. He becomes our substitute. He dies in our place. And by his blood, we also are purified for the holy service of God. Writing in the Middle Ages, the venerable historian Bede said, who does not know? But the sacrifice of those animals and their blood designate the death of our Lord and the sprinkling of his blood through which we are set free from sins and strengthened for good works. There's a particular connection between the sufferings of Christ and the sacrifice of the bull. I mentioned earlier how the skin of that bull and various entrails were taken outside the camp and burned there. And the scripture makes a connection there between the ministry of Jesus because Jesus was not crucified in the city, but outside the city. And the scripture says he also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. He was taken out to that place of of refuse, of disease, and of death, there to suffer God's curse against our sin. You, you look at Exodus 28 and 29, all of these details are connecting in all kinds of ways to the ministry of Jesus. He's not just the sacrifice. He's also the priest. He's the one who enters God's presence on our behalf. The Bible calls him a merciful and faithful high priest, a great priest over the house of God. He's the one who does what a priest should do. He offers our prayers before the Father. He intercedes on our behalf. He stands before God in righteousness so that we can be accepted in God's sight. And if he is a priest, and if he is a true priest in the great tradition of Aaron, then in some way, surely Jesus was consecrated for that priestly ministry. This, I think, is the significance of his baptism. Like the priest, he was 
washed in the waters of the Jordan River. That was the first step in consecration that he would be washed, not because he was unclean, but because he was being set apart as a priest for sinners. And in that baptism, there was also an anointing. The high priest in the Old Testament, Aaron and all the other high priests, they were anointed with oil. The scripture does not say anything about Jesus being anointed with oil, but it does say that he was anointed by the spirit, the Holy Spirit. The third member of the Trinity descended upon him like a dove in his in his baptism, in his consecration. And that's the power in the ministry of Jesus. By the spirit, he performed miracles. By the spirit, he taught God's word. By the spirit, he offered his life for our sins. By the spirit, he was raised from the dead. Now, by the Spirit, He does His saving work in our lives. This is all, all of these things in, in Exodus having to do with the high priest, they're all pointing in all kinds of ways to the ministry of Jesus. And understand that this saving work is for all of us our salvation. And it is for all of us for our consecration. We too are being set apart for ministry. And Aaron is being set apart for ministry tonight. His consecration for ministry in Jesus, which is the only thing that can qualify a man to serve in this gospel ministry. Everything in this story of the consecration of Aaron, as I've said, is pointing us to Christ and his perfect priesthood. It's also telling us the story of our salvation, what happens to us. We have been washed with water in baptism. We have been robed in righteousness because of the righteousness of Christ. We've been anointed by the Spirit and sprinkled with the blood. All of these things are for our salvation. The washing with water, that's signified in Christian baptism, signifying the washing away of our sins. All of our sins making us unclean before God, but Jesus making us clean. The real cleansing is not the water itself, but what God does on the inside to wash away sin, the, the washing of rebirth, the scripture calls it, and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ. And then we've been robed in righteousness. God doesn't just wash away the sin. He actually clothes us with the perfect righteousness of Jesus. The Bible says all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ, Aaron was dressed in sacred garments, symbolizing his holiness before God. The priest could not enter the holy sanctuary of God unless they were suitably dressed. But we have more righteous robes than those. Every believer has put on Jesus. And we are dressed, therefore, with the perfect righteousness of his obedience to God. We were singing about it tonight in and can it be? We don't stand before God on our own merits. That would never be good enough for God. Instead, we are accepted because of what Jesus has done, clothed with Christ. Aaron, this is your qualification to stand before this congregation in ministry. Earlier, I quoted from George Herbert's poem where he saw how Aaron was dressed and then he looked at his own unrighteousness and said, I'm a poor priest. I'm not I'm not dressed. I'm not suitable to go before the people of God and lead them in worship. But then as the poem goes on, he remembers that he has a savior, that he is in Jesus. And because of that, he is well dressed, new dressed. Be a minister in Christ 
And you are able to stand before the people of God and lead them in prayer and lead them in the sacraments and lead them in in preaching and all of the other duties of your calling. We are washed. We are clothed. We are anointed for service. Aaron, in the Old Testament, anointed with oil. That was his consecration. We, too, like Jesus, have been anointed, not with oil, but with the Holy Spirit. The Bible says we have an anointing from the Holy One. God anointed us. This is Second Corinthians chapter one and put his spirit into our hearts. We are set apart for sacred service. And then there are these sacrifices of propitiation, of atonement, of of burnt offering, of total dedication to God. All of those sacrifices began with people laying their hands on the head of the sacrifice, identifying themselves with that animal, which then died in their place. The sacrifice was their substitute. And Jesus Christ is our substitute. We lay our hands on him by faith. One man who received forgiveness through this substitutionary, atoning work of Jesus Christ was Charles Simeon, the great preacher in Cambridge in England, preacher at Holy Trinity Church there. When Simeon began university, he was not yet a Christian, and he was therefore alarmed to receive in his first few weeks at Cambridge a summons from his college requiring him to take Holy Communion three weeks later. Simeon was in a panic about this. He knew that communion was a holy thing. The thought rushed into my mind. He later wrote that Satan himself was as fit to attend communion as I was. And that if I was to attend, I must prepare for my attendance. He was desperate for help. He bought a Christian book at a local Christian uh, at a local bookstore called The Whole Duty of Man. And as he read it, he cried out to God for mercy. And eventually he began to feel the first glimmerings of hope. He writes, it was an indistinct kind of hope founded on God's mercy to real penitence. But in Passion Week, as I was reading on the Lord's Supper, I met with this expression that the Jews knew what they did when they transferred their sin to the head of their offering. Simeon goes on to write, the thought rushed into my mind, what? May I transfer all of my guilt to another? Has God provided an offering for me that I may lay my sins on his head? Then, God willing, I will not bear my sins on my own head one moment longer. And so I sought to lay my sins on the sacred head of Jesus. On Wednesday, I began to have a hope of mercy. On Thursday, that hope increased. On Friday and Saturday, it became more strong. And on the Sunday morning, Easter day, I awoke early with those words upon my heart and lips. Jesus Christ is risen today. Hallelujah. And from that moment, peace flowed in rich abundance into my soul. And I had the sweetest access to God through my blessed Savior. The mercy that Charles Simeon received, forgiveness, peace, joy, access to God. All of these things come to everyone who trusts in Jesus for salvation, simply laying our sins upon him so that he can be our savior. All of this, if you know this saving work of Jesus, then you too are called to holy ministry. That is God's calling on this church. It's God's calling on Aaron as the pastor of this church. Martin Luther 
called this the priesthood of all believers. He said we are all priests, as many of us as are Christians. He was thinking of that biblical language. God has made us a kingdom and priests to serve our God. And so we have been called into holy service. Aaron, like your namesake, you have been called to holy service to God. And all of us have a a priestly ministry beyond that, a holy obligation to serve him. This church is a holy sanctuary for the worship of God. This world is a holy place where we go out to serve. We serve by praising. We serve by giving. We serve by binding up the wounds of the brokenhearted, by reaching out to those who are outside the church. We We do it by loving those who are hard to love with the same love that we have received. We serve as priests by telling people to trust in Jesus and doing whatever we can for his glory. As we think of this and as I close tonight, remember that those Old Testament priests, as they were consecrated, they were marked in three places. Their earlobes, their thumbs and their big toes. If you're a child here tonight, just reach up with your thumb and forefinger and just hold on to your earlobe. Just pinch your earlobe. That ear is an ear for hearing God's word. The thumb on your hand is part of Your thumb is part of a hand that God wants you to use to serve him. Just wiggle your little toe, your big right toe inside your shoe, wherever you walk with that foot. That's a place where God wants you to serve him. And, of course, that's for all the children of God. All of you who have earlobes and thumbs and toes, you are set apart to serve. Remember this about yourself, that you are a priest to serve the living God. Remember this about your minister, that he is so consecrated. Maybe the biggest sinner in the church, perhaps, but set apart by the grace of God for holy service. And Aaron, remember this about yourself, a man sprinkled with the blood, washed with the water, anointed by the Spirit, set apart for this holy service. When George Herbert reflected on these things, reflected not just on his sin, but on the righteousness of Christ, he brought his poem to, I think, a thrilling conclusion. He had recognized his sin. He had wrestled with that, but he knew that he was a holy man in Jesus. And as he came to the end of that Sunday morning, he discovered that he was ready to lead the people of God. And so he ends his poem by saying, come, people, come worship this God who has saved me and is offering his salvation to you. Come, people, Aaron is dressed. And so you will be dressed to serve the people of God in this place. Let's pray briefly as we prepare again to worship through song. Lord, help us to not take our service to you, and particularly the service of gospel ministry as a trivial thing, because it is a holy thing, something only possible through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And we pray for the grace for this minister and this congregation to live in that gospel holiness for Jesus' sake. Amen.